All right. Well, I'm a little bit excited. I'm going to move all Taylor's broken picks and stuff. He's up here strumming so hard, he's breaking picks. and I'm just glad it didn't hit me. Yeah. Um, I am excited to be able to preach again. Now, Brother Lynn, last week, tried to say that I gave you three weeks worth at one time. Well, just hang on, brother, because I ain't finished yet. We are still talking about this idea of pressing on, and we'll be talking about this in different ways throughout the year, but you probably noticed everybody on the stage this morning had on their Dioko shirts, and some of you have asked about it, and um, these shirts we had made, Miss Betsy uh, Dunkel made these for us, and so we're so grateful for her doing that, and she's willing to make some more, and so if you're interested in a shirt like this, you let us know. We're also going to have some with the new church logo. Um, that'll be embroidered on the front at her polos. And somebody even asked about maybe a sweatshirt. And I don't know if she can do a sweatshirt or not, but we're going to have those available for us to wear around as we go around in the community. It gives you an opening. Um, I wore mine on Thursday. Thursday. And I had several people say, what in the world is that on your shirt? Well, that just opened the door for me to tell them what that is on my shirt and why it was there. And so little things like that, that give you an opportunity. Now, Miss Paula, you have to practice saying dioko. And so if you're going to wear one, you've got to be able to tell them what it is. You, oh, it's a Greek word. I don't know. You could actually, I guess, get away with that too, um, because they're not going to know any better either. But it is an opportunity um, for you to share your faith in a very um, non-threatening way. They're going to come to you. They're going to want to know why that's on your shirt and what it's about. And so we'll have those available and, and we're going to continue this idea of thinking about pressing on and pushing forward and not stopping and not giving up. It even showed up in Sunday school this morning. Were you looking at my notes? So you preached my message this morning instead of me preaching yours. I think I was first. You think you were first? Okay. Um, we can't give up in our relationship with Christ. We can't give up in our walk with Christ. We can't give up in our efforts to be who God's asked us to be. After all, as, as when Jesus asked his disciples... As a bunch of them abandoned him. He said, are you two going to leave? And the disciples said, well, where would we go? What option do I have that would be better than Jesus? There is none. And so I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep moving forward for the cause of the gospel and for the glory of God and for the sake of Jesus Christ, that his name may be made known everywhere I possibly can. That's my goal. I want everybody to know that Jesus loves them. And I want to be an instrument used of God for that purpose. And so, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. You're going to say, I know we just preached the same passage last week. Well, we're going to be here for a while. So, um, kind of like Matthew a little while back, or Luke, at Christmas time. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 for several more weeks. As we break down what we looked at as an overview last week. So last week we talked about this idea that Paul had determined in his mind, and he was challenging the Philippian church in the same way, that where he was was not enough in his walk with Christ, that he wanted more, that he wanted to grow deeper and, and have a, a stronger, more vibrant relationship with Christ than he had ever had before. And it is my prayer that for each of us, that's the same goal that we have for 2019. I know you all have probably set resolutions. I won't ask you how many of you have already broken them. Um, but, but, you know, 
Pastor Corey and Miss Hannah, we're glad y'all are back from Louisiana. You brought Evelyn back, and it's wonderful. Isn't it awesome? You can clap. One of the things that was so incredibly wonderful, and they're so generous and so loving, they brought back king cake. Now, some of y'all don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But there is a Louisiana tradition, a South Louisiana tradition in particular, called a king cake. And it's kind of like a cinnamon roll in a ring. And it's got, sometimes it's got filling, sometimes it doesn't, and it's got icing that's colored on top and generally green and purple and gold. I guess the green is for the money that LSU is supposed to bring to the community or something. The purple and gold has to be LSU. But anyway, all of those color, colors are in there, and, and then sometimes they put stuffing in it. There may be cream cheese, or there may be strawberry, or there may be coconut, or could be just about anything. Um, and and they, they, it's just a wonderful thing. It's, it's delicious. And one of the traditions in Louisiana is, is a little bitty plastic baby. They get stuck somewhere inside the cake from underneath, so you can't see. And you cut the cake, and whoever gets the piece that has the baby in it has to bring the next cake. See, this is, could work here by the gym. We could... We could really add on here if we did that. And so Pastor Corey and Miss Hannah were so generous, they brought back two of them. Two of them. Which didn't help my diet any. That resolution of trying to do better, well, I was already struggling. But thankfully, I only got one piece. Thankfully. Because I could have sat there and ate that whole thing. And so many of us set these resolutions, and we think that if we can do this in our lives, then we'll be better off, right? If I could, I'm going to keep a cleaner house this year, or I'm going to save more money this year, or I'm going to lose weight this year, or I'm going to do whatever it is that you're going to do. But if it depends solely on you, chances are you're going to struggle with that. The beautiful thing about what I want to challenge you to do this year is, as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ... It depends upon him working in you to accomplish what he desires, not your abilities. And that's where the power of the gospel truly takes hold. When we learn to surrender and allow him to be God in our lives instead of trying to do it ourselves. So many of us try and force the action, but ultimately we fail. So if you've got your Bibles, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Philippians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, would you stand with me in honor of his word this morning? I know the screen says through 17, we're going to stop at 11 today. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard to you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we who are the true circumcision, or for we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus. And look at that last phrase, put no confidence in the flesh. Guys, you can't do it on your own. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, Paul says. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Let's pray. Father, would you open our eyes and our minds that we may accept the truth of your word. May you change us from the inside out. May you do what you desire in us to accomplish your plan. And Lord, may you get all the glory for what happens because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk to you this morning about counting it as a loss. Paul uses that phrase in this passage, and it it really has a lot of meaning. In verse 8, it has a lot of depth to it when you start to think about what Paul is saying. If you've got your little handouts this morning, one of your first uh, lines there is the idea of loss. It's a, a detriment or a liability. Paul says, I've counted all things as loss. All of these things that he listed earlier, he said, I've counted them as a loss. There's something that are not good for me. Now, as many of you know, I'm a diabetic, okay? And as a diabetic, one of the worst things that I could possibly have is, guess what? King cake and donuts and candy and chocolate and pie and white rice and sometimes even potatoes and pasta All of these things are probably not good for me. But guess what? They all taste good to me. They all have some enjoyment that they bring to my life. There's nothing like biting in to a nice big piece of apple pie. There's nothing like that first big spoonful of banana pudding. There's nothing like on a hot day... You've been working and you're sweating and somebody hands you a glass of, I know y'all really don't know what this is, sweet iced tea. You know how you know if it's sweet enough when you put the spoon in it, it stands up. (laughs) Nothing is better. Each of those I find satisfaction in. Each of those in the right set of circumstances really does have some level of benefit to someone. But it doesn't mean that there's something that I have to have. And Paul wants us to understand that in our lives as believers, there are things that are part of our lives that we could pursue. But in pursuing those things, chances are very high we're going to miss out on the main thing. And if you miss out on the main thing, you've missed it completely. And so the idea that Paul says here is I'm looking at certain things in my life and I see them not as something to be desired, not as something to be held on to, not as something to be looked forward to, but as something that is actually hurting me. It's a detriment to me. It's something I should not have. And one of those things for me personally is a glass of Coke. I love Coca-Cola. The real thing, not the... My wife drinks the Coca-Cola Zero caffeine-free. It's brown water. 
It's all it is. I want, when I take a swig of a Coca-Cola, I want it to bite me back. You know what I mean? Especially out of a glass bottle. Man, refreshing. You know what happens when I do that? I can't hardly walk. My feet hurt so bad. It's a detriment to me. And so now, when I see a Coke, you know what th thought goes through my mind? How bad do I want to hurt? And so now I recognize that that thing that could bring enjoyment to me for a moment ultimately is going to be a problem for me. It is a detriment to me. It is something that I can't have in my life unless I'm willing to pay a price that I'm not willing to pay. And so I have to be willing to set that aside. Does that make sense? Things that would, would you know, in and of themselves, they're enjoyable in the moment. But the problem is the moment doesn't last forever. Eternity is forever, guys. And so Paul says, I've set these things aside. They're detriments to me. This is a two-step process. This week, we're going to look at the first step. Now remember, I said I'm not finished yet. Two-step process to set things aside in our lives. The first thing is you've got to count it as a loss. You've got to say, this is a detriment to me. This is a liability. This is not something that I want in my life. How many of you like when you look at your checkbook to see a bunch of negatives? I want to see some positives in there. I want to see those numbers. How many of you like when you, you start the month and your, and your checkbook balance is here? And you start paying your bills. And then you pay your house note. And then April 15th comes up. No, I want to see that number. It doesn't have to climb fast, Brother Lynn. But if it climbed at all, it would be nice. There are things that I have to do for that to be sure, true in my life. There are things about me that I have to do differently if that's going to be true. Same thing spiritually. There are things that are going to have to be true in my life if I want to be who God wants me to be. And one of those things is I can't allow anything else to compete with Christ anything else to compete with Christ. Now, you have things that compete with Christ in your life. They may be different than things in my life. And I'm going to confess your sins this morning instead of mine, okay? For some of you, it's a television. For some of you, it's reading. For some of you, it's a computer or Facebook. For some of you, it may be video games. For some of you, it may be your job. For some of you, it may be a relationship in your life. For some of you, it may be your past. Whatever those things are that could compete with Jesus in your life, you need to realize they are a detriment to you, and you've got to decide how you're going to handle them. The only way to really handle them is to do what Paul says. I count them as a loss. You move on. One of the beautiful things about accounting at the end of every year, the books close. You can't undo that. You can't go back and change what took place. It, it is what it is, and now you move forward. And so you must decide this morning, what do you do with those things that would compete with Christ? They're things that we've got to be willing to let go of. Paul demonstrated for us, and God used him to describe for us things that he had to set aside for the purpose of godliness. There's another component that must be considered. We're going to look at it next week. But it's not just what you have 
put aside, but what you're pursuing. And next week, we'll look at that. Which means, sometimes pursuing Christ means necessarily not pursuing other things. There are times that you have to literally make a decision. And teenagers, listen to me. This is super important for you. Some of you are on the verge of making lifelong decisions. Where you'll go to college, who you're going to marry, where you're going to live, what kind of children, or how many children you want, not what kind. We all want good kids, right? (laughs) And, And really, some of us just want to know what kind, like boy, girl. You don't have any control over that. You're going to be making huge, huge decisions. And I've taught my children this. Young ladies, if you'll listen, you'll get a lot out of this moment. You want to find a relationship with someone who is chasing after God so hard that you run into each other at the cross. You don't want to chase after some boy who's not chasing after Jesus. The biggest mistake people make is to think, I'll change him. Seek Jesus and seek him alone. Pursue after Christ. Look only to him. Pursuing him means not pursuing other things. Jesus himself said this, no one can serve two masters. By the way, if you're not sure where polygamy is forbidden in the Bible, right here. Husbands, you can only serve one master. Two wives, you're out. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You must make a choice. You can't be on both sides of the fence in serving God. And so you have to decide, who are you going to pursue? What is it going to be? And if you choose Christ, you necessarily will leave other things behind. Joshua told the nation of Israel this, Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. It's a choice that you make. It's one or the other. You either pursue after Christ or you don't. But you have to make a choice. And so in the middle of that choice, Paul gives us a list of some things that, for him anyway, were things that God said, you cannot pursue if you're going to pursue me. Things that cannot be your goal if you're going to Pursue me. Things that can't define your life. It doesn't mean that all of these things are necessarily bad. Remember, banana pudding is good. Okay? But it's not always good for you in the moment. And so, these things that Paul talks about are not necessarily all bad things. But they are things that if they become your goal, if they become your source of identity, if they become the source of your life, or the, the, the direction, the focus of your life, you're missing the mark. And for Paul, there were seven of them that he wanted us to see. Seven losses for one gain. I realize some of these things may not be there for you. These may not be issues for you. Congratulations, that's one less battle you have to fight, amen? Amen. But all of us, on one level or another, are fighting some of these. 
And so this morning, I want to challenge you, as Paul is, to look at what it is that may be holding you back, that you need to count as a loss this morning. The first one that I want to point out to you that he talked about was, your, was abilities. Look at what he says there. Put no, verse 3, put no confidence in your flesh. Now, some of us are skilled in some things. Some of us have the natural ability to do some things. Corey, how many instruments can you play, kind of? Ten different instruments. I can play the radio. <laughs> Corey's naturally skilled in some of those areas. But if Corey gets up here on these drums and he plays so that you notice his ability, he's failed in what God's asked him to do. That's why we don't do concerts. We're not here to entertain. We're here to encourage and inspire and challenge. It's to draw you forward and, and to push you into the next step of relationship with Christ. To encourage you, to challenge you to be better today in your walk with God than you ever were before. Natural learned skills are no substitute for a heart yielded to God. Some of you are really good at teaching. And you can teach a lesson without even trying. You, you, you could just wing it if you had to. And sometimes you have to. But if you know you're going to be teaching in this church, you better be prepared to be teaching in this church. You're handling the very Word of God. You're challenging people to follow the teachings of God. Don't depend upon your natural ability. Depend upon God and seek after Him. Many people today try to serve God in their ability instead of in their surrender. There are times that I get up and preach. I'm just going to be confessing here a little bit. And after the service is over, my wife will tell you, I get in the vehicle, whatever vehicle we're in, I sit down and I think, sometimes I even say it out loud, that's the worst message I think I've ever preached. And you know what generally happens? Somebody calls me about 30 minutes later. He says, Pastor, I just have to tell you, God just broke my heart over something today. And I think to myself, God, how'd you do that? And he did it in spite of me. I want you to know that if I preach, as Paul said, with the most eloquence, if I find the way to, to spin the rest of the message in just the most perfect terms, if I can find a way to put together sentences that inspire you and, and challenge you, and I am doing it in my flesh and in my own abilities, I have failed you. And so there are going to be times when I'm going to tell you things that you don't want to hear. Because I don't want to be tickling your ears, I want to be stepping on your toes. I want to be pointing you to the cause of Christ. Your abilities will never be sufficient to the mission that God's called you to. His equipping of you will always be enough, but your ability will never be enough. So don't depend upon yourself. Paul says, if anybody ought to have confidence in the flesh, it was him. I, I more than anybody else, I could have confidence in my own abilities. Look at what else he said. Don't have confidence in religion. Wait a minute, this is a church. That's right, praise God, it's not a religion. Amen. Do you know you can clean your house religiously? Do you know you can complain religiously? 
Did you know you can do just about anything religiously? You know what religious, doing something religiously means? It means doing it consistently over and over and over again. Almost roteness. How many of you, when you brush your teeth, have to think about what do you do when you brush your teeth? How many of you can tie your shoes without even thinking about it, Luke? Luke can do that now. Sometimes his shoes are untied. It's not because he can't. It's just because he didn't. Those are things that you could do religiously. You could just do them and do My wife can crochet. And she can just sit there and whatever she's doing with that yarn and the needles. I watch it and it's so fast I can't even see what's going on. Mind numb. I, I, she just does it. She could do that religiously. Paul says don't count on religion. Look at what he says. If anyone has confidence to put in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day. What does that mean? Well, on the eighth day, his parents brought him to the church to follow the rules of his religion, an instruction that had been given by God that was passed down through the, through the years. And over and over and over throughout Paul's life, Paul would have been challenged to follow the teachings of religion. Now, there is nothing wrong with having set things that you do in order to worship God. There's nothing wrong with that unless those things become more important than the God that you're worshiping. For example, was anybody disturbed by the idea that there are garbage cans in here this morning? Why? Guys, this is a room. It is a room set aside for the purpose of worshiping God in, but it is simply a room. And if this building burned down tomorrow, and all that was left here was the concrete upon which I stand, well, the concrete on which I stand... We could still worship God right here. There's the old joke. If you want to move the piano from this side to that side, do you know how to do it? An inch at a time. Just a little bit at a time. And eventually, nobody will even realize that it's over there. Sometimes we get so caught up in the things of our religion that we lose sight of the reason why the religion was there to begin with. It's there to remind us that we continually need to go back to God and go back to God and go back to God and never look to anything but God because our abilities will always fail us. An allegiance to a set of ideas or principles can be valued and valuable, but they can also be an idol. And they should never be allowed to do that. The exercise of your devotion is not the end goal. It's the tool that God uses to mold us. We read our Bibles not because we have a compulsion to do so. We do it because this is the very bread of God. It's the word of God. It's the life of God. It's the light of God that shines into our souls. It's the inspiration that we need. It's the correction that we need. It's the everything for the believer. And so we study the Word of God. We pray, not so that we can say we prayed today. We pray because that's our ability to communicate with God. We sing songs, not because we can get through with them and get to the message. We sing the songs because in those songs is a message of hope and inspiration that can touch your hearts in ways that perhaps I will never do from the pulpit. We do these things because they mean something. When Miss Donna or Miss Carolyn come over here at the end of the service and they sit at this beautiful instrument, and they play a beautiful song while men walk around with bags collecting funds. That's not just something that's on the schedule. That's an act of worship. As they play that instrument, they are worshiping God and leading us in our hearts to worship. And so when they're doing that, and we're not 
worshiping God, where we're doing whatever else, we're losing out, missing out on something. All of those things are components that are there on purpose for the sake of pointing us to the cross, pointing us to who Jesus is. But if they become the most important thing, we have missed the mark. You cannot trust religious activities to gain God's favor. It just doesn't work that way. Now I'm going to step on some toes. Nationality. Look at what he says. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Israel was God's chosen people. They are God's chosen people. Israel, of all of the nations, God chose them. But for some reason, they thought that the reason that God chose them was because they were worthy of being chosen. And they weren't. They were chosen because God needed a family that he could orchestrate in their lives the steps necessary to bring to pass the birth of the Savior of the world. And because of that, Paul's identity as a person from the nation of Israel gave him great respect and great reverence for the nation. They had been through a lot. They'd been in captivity in Egypt. They'd been in captivity through Babylon and Assyria. They had, they had seen times of great um, defeat, times of great victory. They'd had great kings. They'd had terrible kings. They'd had priests that were leading them in the way of the Lord. They had priests that were absolutely not leading them in the way of the Lord. And if you want to know more about that, come tonight when he goes through Malachi. But all of those things summed up together was a national source, a, a source of national pride. Now I want to say something. I am blessed, and you are blessed, to live in the United States. We're blessed. There's no doubt about it. This nation is not perfect, but for over 200 years, the principles upon which we were founded have served our citizens well. They provide an environment in which the gospel, gospel has been freely preached. We've got to be careful to realize that the gospel has not been powerful because of America, but that America has been powerful because of the gospel. That when the nation of the of United States has faithfully propagated the gospel and faithfully proclaimed the gospel, we have fulfilled that which God has given us the opportunity to do. But we must have our first allegiance and our first identity in Christ and not in country. Now, that's hard. And I know many of you are veterans. Many of you have stood for the flags. Many of you have offered your lives. All of you that were veterans have offered your lives for the flag. But the value of our nation does not lie in our nation. It lies in our surrender to God. And if our hearts fail to yield to Him as a nation, we place ourselves outside of an ability for God to bless us. Paul says, Nationality was important. But if I counted that as what was going to be okay between me and God, I was in trouble. I want to be careful here. America is not, is not the best hope for the gospel. The gospel is the best hope for America. And we better be faithful in proclaiming it every chance we get. And if we are, God can use us as a nation if we're willing to surrender to him. 
The value of our nation doesn't lie in our national resources. It doesn't lie in the inspired founding documents or even in the generic goodness of her people. The value of our nation lies in our willingness as believers to lean upon God and Him alone. Continuing. Paul says, I've set aside my abilities. I'm setting aside my religion. I'm even setting aside my nationality. I'm setting aside my status. Look at what he says. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. I can just picture him. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. He had that George Jefferson walk going right then. He had a status. He had a swagger, somebody said. He knew that of all of the people of Israel... He was one that could be looked up to. He was one that could be admired. How many of you don't want people to think that you're a nice person? Anybody want to be thought of as a bad person? Anybody would want everybody to look at you and run? Many of us have a desire for people to want to be around us, and that's okay unless we compromise our faith for the approval of others. Your status means nothing unless it's first surrendered to Jesus Christ. Many of us have a lot of friends. And our social circle can be very important to us. But it means nothing apart from Christ. I'm going to tell you what I don't mean by that. What I don't mean by that is what's going around Facebook right now. It has been for years. If you love Jesus, click Amen, share, like, and share this. What I mean is, the other posts on your Facebook, do they show people what Christ really means to you? Or are they compromises so that you can keep all your friends? Guys at school, when you're interacting with your friends and you're trying to move forward, are, are you making decisions based on what they're going to think about you or what God knows to be true about you? Your status means nothing. Paul says, as a Hebrew of the Hebrews, I decided that was absolutely a detriment and a loss to me. I did not want that to be anything in my mind as I pursue that which you put before me. And so I've counted it as a loss. More than anything, we must use whatever platform God gives us to preach the gospel as loud and as proudly as we can, that everyone can hear. Well, but if I do that, then some people might not like me. The cross is a stumbling block. And the goal is not to be liked. The goal is for Jesus to be worshipped, for God to be glorified. For your life to shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So your status cannot mean anything. Simply a perch upon we rest until the next time we can fly boldly to proclaim his goodness. Another thing that Paul says don't count on is his accomplishments. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. Now I talked about this some last week. Everything Paul did in his religious life, in his public life, in his social life, made him climb that ladder of accomplishments. And he got better and better. Now, I want to tell you something, church. One of the things that Dr. Bennett does oftentimes when we're around is he'll introduce me as a very important person in our community. 
This is the pastor of Daybreak Baptist Church. He's the only pastor in Kern County whose church is debt-free. Only Southern Baptist Church. I don't know if that's true or not, but he says it sometimes. And I'm proud of that, aren't you? I am so proud of the fact that the building is paid for. But brothers and sisters, we didn't pay for the building so we could be proud. We paid for the building so we could continue serving God without the albatross of a mortgage payment hanging over our heads. And so we keep pushing on. We keep pressing on. Yes, it's an important thing. Yes, I'm glad we did it. But you know what? That's in the past now. The question is not, can we pay off the building? That's done. The question is, can we take care of the building? Can we fix the carpet? Can we put a sign out front? Can we fix the men's bathroom where the walls are bowing? Ladies, y'all didn't know that because y'all have the pretty bathroom. <laughs> can, can we do what we need to do to take care of the things that God has entrusted with us? Will we take the steps necessary to pay the price that it takes to do what God asks of us? Those accomplishments are great. They're, they're wonderful. At one time, there were 500 people meeting here. You know what that means to someone who needs Jesus today? Nothing. But you do. Because you have the power right here and right now to set aside any accomplishments that we've rested upon, that we've put our, law, our, our faith in, and say from now on, I'm going to do everything I can to move forward and not dwell upon what I've done. Some of you have lived excellent lives. You have lived a legacy and are leaving a legacy of great faith and great um, service to the king. But if you're still breathing, you're not done. Keep going. Press on. Dioko, don't stop. God still wants to use you. Your accomplishments are milestones that you can point to to remember God's love for you and God's faithfulness to you. But they cannot be the things that you depend upon in your relationship with Him. Well, I used to teach Sunday school. I'm a deacon. I'm a pastor. I'm the chairperson of such and such committee. I open the doors. I turn on the air conditioner. I take out the garbage. Those aren't the things that we must look upon. I love people. I trust in Jesus. I faithfully seek after His will. I give a verbal witness to the hope that is within me. I challenge people to know that there's a God that loves them. Those are the accomplishments that you need to strive for. Next is passion. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I believed in what I was doing so much that my goal was to see the people that did not believe die. I don't think that needs to be our goal, by the way. I think our goal needs to be that we would serve God with all that we have, but not for the sake of saying, look at what I've done, but look at what God's doing. Passion can be very easily misplaced. Later today, in the Superdome, tens of thousands of people are going to gather together inside of a domed building, and they're going to be cheering with a passion that the church can only dream of. Last week, the decibel meter got above 120 decibels in there as they were cheering. To put that in perspective, that's like a chainsaw running next to your ear. If people can get that excited about a little pigskin, 
and a bunch of millionaires running around on a piece of grass. I'm sorry, plastic. Our passion for the cause of Christ ought to be better and higher than anything else in the world. But if you're depending only upon your passion, then you're depending upon your feelings and your emotions, and they will fail you. Hitler's followers were passionate. The 9-11 hijackers, you don't think they were passionate? Passionate people are all over the place. Passion in and of itself, unless it's placed in the right place, is nothing but a detriment and a loss. So be certain that you run your race with passion, but you run it in the right direction. The last one he lists is self-righteousness. Now, I I could just say that out loud and look at you, right? Some people are very impressed with themselves. How impressed is God with you? The other morning, um, we were going... We're going to the gym. I don't know where we were going. It was real early in the morning. And as we were leaving, I was looking, and the sun was just coming up over the mountains. And they were incredible. There's so many layers of color and depth. and I can't even imagine trying to duplicate that. I tried to take a picture. Didn't do any good. That didn't tax God one little bit. You see, what impresses us doesn't impress God. And what we think we can do to impress others, it doesn't impress Him either. Our self-righteousness is of nothing. He says, that which is in the law found blameless. Paul says, I could count on the fact that you can't find anything that you could say bad against me. But that's not what I'm counting on. Some people would give you a hand, but they're too busy patting themselves on the back. The sum total of your goodness, if it were all added up, of all of your virtue and all of your goodness, if you could take all of that and convert it to gasoline, it wouldn't give you enough power for an ant's go-kart to go around a Cheerio twice. You're not all that. You're not... Perfect. If you don't believe me, ask your spouse. And so get over yourself. Paul says, as to the law found blameless. But you know what? All of these things, I've counted them for loss. So I have a question for you this morning. What is God telling you that you need to set aside in your life for His glory? What is it that's competing with Him in your life? And now I'm going to tell you why there are garbage cans up here, in case you haven't figured it out. Garbage cans are next to tables, and on the tables there are pieces of paper and pens. And in a few moments when we have our invitation, I want to invite you to do what Paul did. Paul said, the things that I counted important to me, the things that I could have claimed as sources of pride and sources of joy and sources of grace... The things that I could have depended upon. 
They're garbage. And they don't mean anything to me anymore because I've got a different goal in mind. And so when Taylor comes up in a moment and we have our time of invitation, these papers and these garbage cans are for you. And I want to invite you, if God's laid on your heart, things that you've been depending upon, things that have been competing with Him in your life, I want to challenge you. Don't put your name on the paper so nobody can go through them and look at them. But would you come up here and grab a piece of paper and as an act of faith and an act of trust in God, God, I'm counting these as loss. I'm putting them aside so that nothing stands between me and you. I want nothing but you. And then throw them away. Realizing that there's nothing better than him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this moment, I know that many of us have depended upon a lot of things in our life. Many of us have put our faith in things that we thought were important in a moment. Some of them were good things. But they're not the best thing. So Lord, we want nothing but you. In order to have that, Father, we need to lay aside some things. So God, I pray that as you lay on the hearts of your people, those things that they need to lay aside, that God, you give them the grace and the strength to trust you for the next step forward afterwards. In Jesus' name.